We are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and Notch is a great idea. Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by the prospective parliamentary candidate for Calder Valley for the Liberal Democrats, Javid Bashir. Welcome to the podcast, Javid. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Um, So to begin with, I'd uh, like to uh, ask, uh, the Liberal Democrats have um, uh, quite a bit of a fight on their hands in uh, Calder Valley. Are you optimistic about the election campaign? Absolutely. Uh, we are, you know, without a doubt, uh, the underdogs in this coming up campaign. Uh, but we've got probably one of the most biggest upswings in terms of population, uh, the, the population backing us in terms of what our position is uh, and where we stand on certain key policies and our position in the world and in, on, on the Brexit topic, especially if you look at the last uh, national poll, which was a European election, that we came above Labour and above the Conservatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you look at the, you know, the, the massive surge in local elections that prior to that, you know, we've had the highest number of local elected uh, councillors right, in, in our history. Our membership is going up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the previous polls of the last elections right, is no, in no way a reflective view of what's going on or what's happened or what's changed. Mm-hmm. So absolutely optimistic. Um, now, in um, uh, the constituency, the uh, Greens have recently announced that they will be standing aside in favour of uh, Green voters voting for the uh, Labour candidate. Uh, do you sure. think that um, that is something that will make this much more of a difficult fight? Was it ever anything that, um, I, d- I don't know what the situation is with the um, local parties, but was this ever considered as a possibility? I mean... Of yeah, I mean, just to give you the context of what happened in that conversation, there. So I actually had a personal conversation with the chair of the uh, of, of the Green Party in Calderdale. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a well-known, uh, you know, personality within the sort of you know political landscape, but because of his green credentials. Uh, and my conversation was on the lines of, you know, uh, you know, to give us the the, the update of what they were doing. That they were going to build a pact or uh, agree a pact with the Labour. Uh, party mm-hmm. and you know we wish them well uh, I personally wished him well you know the, the decision was theirs um, you know personally I think right that it's a good you know thing that they're doing because the Labour's climate change policy right is weak mm. and the Liberal Democrats right, is you know light years ahead in terms of you know what they want to do and how they're going to achieve this and that's a key difference between us and all the other parties other parties make promises saying you know we'll do this or we'll promise to work hard on this and my view on it is that everybody works hard on everything they do, right? But we've got practical, on-the-ground, hands-on delivery, deliverable solutions that can be costed. So, so you know, it was a welcome, you know, view that, you know, they've actually done that. But the politics of it behind was that they did ask us if we wanted to sign a pact with them hmm. on the same topic, the Liberal Democrats. It was turned down, uh, and including uh, the last election as well. And that's partly because of the numbers. Um, in recent months... Extinction Rebellion's taken the wind out of the Green Party, mm. so they are losing quite a lot of support to that uh, movement. And on top of that, you know, their last election turnout was 600, right? So th- there was a huge risk that they might lose their deposits this time round, as yeah. you can see in other parts of the country, that the Green Parties are signing up packs with others simply because, they, you know, it's, it's a cost-benefit thing there. You know, is uh, £500 worth of deposit worth 500 votes or 600, or could they lend their 
support base, which there is one, to somebody else that there. But the critical part for me and the party probably was the fact that they want to go with a, a people's vote option mm-hmm. um, after an election. Mm. And it's it's a retrospect for us uh, that, that we, you know, our position is clear. We, we're the Remain and Revoke Party, not mm-hmm. the Remain and People's Vote. If there is a people's vote, we'll support Remain. Mm-hmm. But right now, our option for the country and our residents and the, and the constituencies uh, are, you know, to revoke and remain. So that would have been a step backwards for us. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know that um, in uh, this particular part of the country uh, that you're standing in, uh, that one of the major um, uh, topics has been opposition to fracking. And recently the government have put in a, a temporary halt um, to fracking. Is this something that you would hope can be uh, permanently banned? Do you think that this would something that uh, a Liberal Democrat government, or at least uh, the Liberal Democrats involved in government, would um, put as a priority? Um, if the Liberal Democrats were in a majority government, uh, the, the conversation would probably continue as it is, uh, simply because it's one of those uh, areas that we just don't know enough. Mm-hmm. So there were reports, there's evidence, there's been geological surveys, there's been some other you know, uh, conversations, uh, you know, with all different stakeholders across the board right, about exactly what impact this has uh, and the conspiracy theories around that it's a fracking, uh, sorry, it's a uh, fossil fuel industry that, that's against this or, or mm-hmm. they, you know, they're against the renewable energies. So there's a lot of misinformation that's out there at the moment. And, you know, within a government, you have to be responsible and not to dismiss things out of hand simply because they're, um, you know, not popular. That's, that's just the reality of it. So at the moment, the way it stands, um, you know, it's it's open for discussion and debate, trying to figure out exactly where we move on from here. Is fracking good? My personal view, it's not, mm-hmm. because there are some benefits that come out of fracking there, but there is a huge amount of other alternative uh, renewable energy sources that can be used. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's going to be a decision by whoever actually sort of takes up government mm-hmm. positions uh, in that area. Uh, now, I know that um, earlier this year you were uh, standing... Um, uh, in Elland for the uh, to, to be a councillor for Elland in yes. uh, in West Yorkshire, um, and one of the um, major uh, thrusts of your campaign was ensuring uh, gr- a greater sense of um, digital uh, connectivity for the area, and you know Im- improving um, mm-hmm. uh, digital technology uh, in the area. Is this something that um, you think would be, if you were elected as the Member of Parliament for Calder, that you would uh, pursue uh, as an MP, whether in government or in opposition? Um, as a resident, I'd, I'd, I'd pursue this option because it's mm-hmm. the right thing to do. So it's not whether I'm standing for uh, public office or not. When I was a local uh, candidate, because my political career literally started you know, what, eight, nine months ago when I was asked to stand for the Liberal Democrats in, in my hometown, mm-hmm. um, I had something close to 34, 35 days from the point when I got the approval, was parachuted in and then had to run a campaign and do the polling there. Mm-hmm. As a first time, uh, you know, I, I lost, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, participation is just as important. And one of the key things that I found from having worked in industry for 20 plus years is that you know digital you know the 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 economic paradigms of how we work uh, manufacturing uh food production drinks uh bioscience whichever industry or sector you're in it is all going it is all being digitized Mm -hmm. and one of the underlying issues was and is still the connectivity side of it so i went around knocking on doors knocking on shops 
uh, speaking to the business owners, and I find that you know they are still some businesses still using dial-up, mm. <laughs> and, yeah, and you yeah. know they've got websites to run. Uh, you know, it's a retail shop, so you know he's always been complaining about the fact that he's never had a good dial-up connect, uh, internet connection. So you know, it became you know the main thrust of well, one of the main pillars of what's out there. Now, internet. I come from a technical background, so mm. you know I worked for telecoms companies uh, for many many years. Are the you know top end of R and D um, development to you know, just frontline services, you know phone calls, customer service. So I understand mm-hmm. the challenges and implications of that. And then when you look at the environment in terms of the uh, you know the diminishing high streets, mm-hmm. you know it's like ghost towns and and whatnot. Then one one of the thrusts behind my view on this was that okay, what is going to attract more people to come in to the town and stay in town? If there's free internet, why wouldn't people want to come in? When you've got children or kids from school walking past, rather than hanging around on the streets with nothing, the whole gaming industry can be created. I mean, I know businesses that are creating uh, immersive tech pods. So if you've got free internet access, you know, that's going to keep Mark trouble, you know, getting them to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, creates more economic uh, viability of, you know, of, of the rationale behind why people and the footfall needs to be maintained. So that was just, you know, a number of areas. And on top of that, uh, I worked in an e-healthcare project across the continent of Europe um, in terms of the ageing society and mm-hmm. the uh, bringing the services or the diagnostics and health uh, treatments closer to the home um, rather than having to get, you know, patients to travel all the way to the hospitals. Internet connectivity was a fundamental, you know, um, underlying uh, utility type of service for them. So that Mm. My my view again was that you know why can't we just sort of offer free internet services for all the health related uh, uh, medicines and treatments, mm. and then itemize the billing some other way. So there are commercial models that are available there. So that is what I will continue on doing, and I've had conversations with the council and the economic regeneration directorship at the council. So whether I get elected into public office or not, that will carry on because it's just the right thing to do. It's just a natural progression. Uh, because the high streets are never going to be the way they are, they used to be. It has to evolve into something different, something unique, a niche um, that can replace it. Mm. Uh, do you think that uh, the lack of access to technology and the um, decline of the high street is one of the things that has um, driven the uh, desire to leave the European Union as one of the driving forces behind Brexit? Not in itself. I think. I mean, it depends on how you how you view that uh, that, that that question. That has technology driven people away uh, from the high streets. Yes, it has. If you look at the context of the new internet business models, mm-hmm. Amazon, eBay, uh, Airbnb, you know, everything is literally online. There's nothing to do with pen and paper when you can automate and process everything remotely. And when you change billing structures and and a whole raft of other things, you know, this type of fundamental change takes place. You can, for example, you know, buy something online, you know, and return it for free yeah. if you don't like it at the comfort of your home. That is a fundamental shift. So, mm. you know, buying behaviours and consumerism is all changed as it is there. So then the high streets aren't sustainable. And fundamentally to that, it's the actual the the, the business rates model that mm. they are paying, you know, twice as much rates as internet businesses. So there's no cost saving incentives there. So that's another point on keen on sort of uh, developing if I do get into office to you know have a like a land uh, tax based model or something to that effect mm. uh, but then at the same time the internet has created this environment where um, you know uh, you know 
conversations, social media, and the monetization of clickbaiting and whatnot that has made it easy for uh, dis- you know incentivizing uh, nefarious players in, in 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 that sector to sort of you know take advantage of. Um, so it's it's a whole raft of things that that why people have actually chosen to go you know with a Brexit route. You know we've never been in the situation where we've had the campaigning ability to actually sort of influence people's opinions, views. Mm. Uh, in such a mass way. So I, again, you know, from a tech side of view, so when you look at big data, uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and all these, put them all together, you know, the three things that, that you know, defines big data is volume, velocity, and variety of data that's coming mm. through at you. You just cannot cope with it. And then you're just inundated with messages. That, so it's like paralysis by analysis, and they just you know, beat you into submission and accepting what's being yeah. said to you. And these are the things that are still going on even till now. Um, so tech is a good thing because it actually does help uh, improve lives, mm. the standards of living, um, you know, creates wealth and all the rest of all that. But then it can also be weaponized as well, mm. which is where we have to be careful. And I think that's the the, the symptoms we're suffering right now um, in part for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Liberal Democrat uh, manifesto has not been released yet, but... Of the manifesto, what do you hope would be the focus on in terms of uh, policies and the general theme of the manifesto? Um, from my take, from the 2017 uh, manifesto, it has to be revolving around um, local economies mm-hmm. um, and localization. So when we were in the coalition, uh, we promoted uh, the Localism Act, uh, you know, quite significantly to the point we actually got it pass through a bill as a concession to other things that we had an option to, but then that has created the uh, ability for local councils, uh, research organisations and other bodies that were created on the back of that to give the local community the powers to make decisions locally. So it's mm-hmm. at a small scale at the moment, for example, um, you know, the business improvement districts uh, where um, any community organisation can get together uh, sorry, business community can get together and create like a preset to actually raise finances themselves. The councils mm-hmm. will be responsible for raising the money and then allocating it back. And then those businesses can actually then spend that money in their local area do the improvements. So it doesn't have to go through uh, the usual sort of public procurement panel uh, or even the local councils, um, the, the councils, you know, cabinet meetings and approvals mm-hmm. process. It's just direct. They're just, you know, addressing... Uh, their own issues there. So this is where the disconnect happens, that, that the council have got priority, they've got funding cuts uh, so big they have to decide which ones are their high priorities and yeah. uh, likewise, you know, and then they have the consultations, which is a legal requirement mm-hmm. uh, and then once they've done the legal consultation usually like those views of the people, their voices aren't either taken into account or they're contradictory mm. to what the actual policy is or the, how the procedures have got to be sort of, you know, uh, put forward. Uh, or past, um, you know, but a bid, for example, is that, you know, there's the money, there's your priority, go spend the money. That, that, th- those are the sort of areas that I think need to happen. And that's within our manifesto about giving people control and power at the local level. So one of the big uh, areas of uh, focus or the central pillars is the Yorkshire devolution deal, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm, I'm behind 100% because with the Yorkshire devolution deal, there is an expected... 200,000 new jobs that are going to be created in this region, uh, you know, adding a, like something close to 120, 112 billion in the uh, GDP for the local economy and 
you know, being a net contributor to the public purse and all the whole raft of other things there. So we're fragmented at the moment with four different geographies. That all becoming one and simple. You know, this is equivalent of, you know, uh, an extra £500 uh, in one of the reports that came out per person within the within the boundary. But then we've got control over our investment for buses, for trains, for local services, for education. So we actually can make our decision based on our local priorities rather than making a case individually to the central government and asking them, we need money for this, can we have it? And they'll say, no, you need to do something else before you can do this. So th- those are the priorities that, you know, that we have there. And that's all within the Lib Dems manifesto as it stands. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you, you mentioned there, obviously, a greater uh, ability for uh, uh, councils in the north to be able to make decisions for themselves. How do you view projects like uh, the Northern Powerhouse and HS2, which in their own way have proved somewhat uh, controversial? Um, I completely agree that there is a lot of controversy in terms of very strong and passionate uh, and emotive views against them. Mm -hmm. So the HS2 has been suspended pending a review since Boris Johnson came into uh, number 10. Uh, Now, there there are many critics of this, um, and some are environmental, some are more noise pollution sort of oriented, Mm -hmm. others are emissions uh, and net zero uh, carbon uh, footprint. Situations where you know where where they can't actually find the benefits for that, uh, and you know, the, and other ones are others are say it's a cost and it's massively overrun and over cost. Now what what people need to realise is that this railway network is not or this you know the HS2 is not for ten years fifteen years. This is a, has at least a minimum of two hundred years of uh, life cycle in terms of how mm-hmm. it's going to be delivered. There we're maxed out in our capacity. I used to work in London and down in Worthing and a few other places down south from, from where I am here. And I used to have to stand in the train carriage, walking, you know, all the way down there. There wasn't even enough room to actually sit mm. because you need, you know, the full space of uh, two people there. So, you know, you cannot increase the carriages without affecting the train lines and you can't, you know, you double up the train carriages because of the traffic and congestion on there. So there's a whole raft of different reasons why we do need, uh, you know, a... Uh, a much more um, faster network, well, not necessarily a faster one, but a bigger network or a different network to actually then connect the rest of the part of the country. Now, there is an argument that some say that, you know, this is all beneficial for the south and southeast and not for the north, mm-hmm. but, and, and that we should be focusing more on HS3, which is the coast to coast from mm-hmm. Liverpool to Hull. Fine, I agree with that, but then you have to start from somewhere. So where we've invested billions already, Within the plans and infrastructure designs and whatnot, there uh, and they're only so you know a third way through, you have to then start again from scratch. And for that, you have to then so go back to central government and the treasury and ask them, we want this money for this. How are you going to sort of quantify all the money yeah. that's already been spent on the designs? So, irrespective of whatever the views are, Leeds, for example, where the uh, station is going to be rebuilt is going to be the central hub for this, which then connects it up into Manchester, then into Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the HS3 will connect through that there. So the way I see it is that's not money wasted per se. It's a case of, a, it's a stepping stone to actually where we need to get to. Northern Powerhouse is contributing towards this, and it's all about the regional rebalancing of the economy. And that nicely fits into my overall sort of view what I had earlier about Yorkshire devolution, because all of these things are leading to that one scenario mm-hmm. where we take control local. I completely accept that there are people out there that have completely contradictory, or not contradictory, but completely opposing views uh, on on the various grounds there. But not doing it 
is not good enough because if we don't, then, you know, the rebalancing of the economy will just not happen. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Because the amount of people uh, that are traveling in and out of the central countries there, and even look at the house prices, for example, people are traveling more up north to buy houses out mm-hmm. of London because of, of, of the extortionate rates of one bedroom apartments and flats are, you know, six, seven, you know, figure sums. Mm. Um, so there's a whole, you know, a raft of other reasons why that is there. Projects like this, they're not small, they're not overnight projects. And, you know, and then we only realise the benefits, you know, in long term. And it's even with the Channel Tunnel, when we connected uh, Dover to Calais, people, you know, were making cases that it's a waste of money. It can't be done, it shouldn't be done. But the economic benefits of that, even though it was a loss-making project for many years, mm-hmm. uh, from inset- from, from, from launch, it still is a, a new channel that was opened. Uh, between the two so you know there is always risks involved mm. but that's what the point of government is and these are always ongoing projects so the la- you know, living projects are not a case of that once we've drawn a, a schematic for the designs of you know station a to station b for example it's not going to change because the reality changes they just adapt mm. um, now one of uh, and this hasn't really been a, a part of the political scene for a while but one of the um uh, major arguments in terms of sort of like uh, devolution was the idea of um, an English Parliament in the same way that there is a, a Scottish Parliament and a Welsh Assembly. What would your thoughts on that be? Do you think that would be a positive thing in terms of devolution, or do you think it would be something that wouldn't work? Um, my my personal view on it is it wouldn't it wouldn't work. Mm. Um, although others might want to take advantage of that mm-hmm. um, but at the same time there is a case to be made just like all the other devolution deals you have in the Greater Manchester, in the Midlands um, and even in Sheffield you know, there is a case that we need to have decisions made locally and the priority has to be local there um, I'm not in favour of creating any type of borders or any friction between the United Kingdom in any way shape or form mm. Uh, well, um, we're coming towards uh, the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for being on, Chapter. It's been a, a, a great discussion, a very interesting discussion. Okay. I just, I'd just like to ask you one final question. Um, sure. Uh, one of the uh, major points of uh, contention between some of the other parties and the Liberal Democrats have been the uh, now infamous uh, Liberal Democrat bar charts, which show the Liberal Democrats more likely to win here than other parties and all that sort of thing. Uh, what do you think of them? Um, usually, we have a very robust way of determining what data we actually publish. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a very robust process in terms of the due diligence we take care of when we're acquiring information. Everything's in the public domain. Everything's there for checking and, and whatnot there. Uh, I am not saying categorically that there aren't issues. There might mm-hmm. be because, you know, there are situations there where you actually then rely on some third party that, uh, where you get the data from. So we go by, you know, uh, but by faith in, in, in what we supplied, but we do tend to actually sort of give as much, uh, you know, audit everything that we, we, we submit. So if you find a bar chart that is completely skewed in a different direction, you know, I would first of all say, okay, look at the context and have a conversation about what do you mean by this, mm-hmm. rather than just dismissing it offhand as fake news or, you know, misinformation, uh, because sometimes the context and the data could be uh, used in a way that it wasn't intended in the first place, but you then find out the new realities have emerged. 
mm. in hindsight, you know, whether it's hindsight biased or whether it's just new, um, you know, uh, new new lights of how you view things. Um, you know, so you can frame a question in a way to get a specific answer. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing, you can frame an answer to get a specific type of view to, that needs to be promoted. Um, so if the bar charts are skewed and the numbers from the Electoral Commission, uh, for example, that has to publish all these, is completely off off mm. track. Flag it with the person that did that in the first instance because there could be reason. Yeah. If you accept it and if you don't accept it, you know, that's a, you know, that's a, that's an individual, you know, judgment call there. Um, so I won't promote misinformation or fake news, you know, in any way, shape or form or wherever it comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do have a robust process in terms of validating all the information we put out into the public domain. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much for being on the uh, podcast. It's been a delight to have you. Okay, thanks a lot, Will. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Don't forget that you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or YouTube. You can follow us at Debated Podcast on Twitter, like us, Debated Podcast on Facebook. And if you want to email us, either about appearing or making a comment or reaction to the episode you've heard or any other episodes, then email us thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one. 